Hello there, welcome along to the Michael Castle Group podcast series. Luke Davis is my name and my special guests today are three of the key production team members for Beautiful, the Carol King musical, which has just opened in Sydney. We've got Mark Bruni, who's the director, Jason Howland is the music supervisor and Joyce Chittick is the associate choreographer and I welcome you all to the studio. Good morning, Thanks, Luke. Luke. Glad to be here. Now, you can hear it in the voice. They're all American. I've read all of your biographies, stacked loads of Broadway experience. You've toured around the world. But my first impression of you, knowing you for about two minutes, is that you're all so young. Well, thank you for saying that. <laughs> yes, you know a way to the heart. Yeah, I thought I'd butter you up from the beginning. Yes, good butter, good butter. <laughs> now, you're all in town to help stage this exciting Australian production of Beautiful. But first, I want to give our listeners a bit of a background as to how you all got to this point in your life. Mark, we'll start with you. How did you first get into directing? Uh, you know, I was an actor in, in high school and college, mm-hmm. and around my... Uh, junior year of college I decided that it was a lot more fun to get to play all the parts <laughs> and uh, and direct so I, I I sort of transitioned about halfway through college into uh, into directing some musicals and some plays and uh, and and just found that I, I really enjoyed getting to approach a story from multiple points of view and uh, and in terms of uh, approaching it from all the departments and it's such a collaborative enterprise and getting to uh, work with designers and work with uh, groups of actors and that was just something that uh, was more fulfilling to me so uh, I moved to New York right after I graduated from school, and I've been uh, directing ever since. And the key for you, I read, was that you just threw yourself into everything, no matter the budget of the show, no matter the style of show. It's just a matter of getting your hands-on experience. Sure, yeah, absolutely. You've got to you've got to kind of find whatever whatever and wherever you can to do it. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, when we were doing Beautiful for the first time, uh, I, I remember just talking to the cast. The, the process of putting up a show, whether you're doing it in a small black box or you're doing it at your high school or you're doing it on Broadway is the same. You have rehearsal, you have tech, uh, you have uh, a preview process. Well, you probably don't have a preview process in high school, but you have, um, uh, you know, you, you, you then put it in front of an audience and see what they think. And uh, that process is is exactly the same. The only thing that changes is the scale of production and, and in terms of the budget and, 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 the, and, the, and the number of opinions that you're getting from people around you. And you <laughs> a couple of opinions in the room. <laughs> but you made it all the way to Beautiful. That was your Broadway debut as director, wasn't it? Yes, yes. I'd been the associate director on a number of shows mm. on Broadway, but uh, that was, yeah, my uh, Broadway debut as a director. Uh, it was beautiful. Fantastic. And Jason, yours is an extraordinary story as well. You've done everything. You've produced, musically directed, conducted. You've been a playwright, a composer. You've won a Grammy Award. You've won an Emmy Award. You've been Tony nominated. Are you a little bit schizophrenic or just extremely talented? Uh, I'm extremely fortunate <laughs> and extremely lucky. The luckiest part And extremely was... talented. Oh, thank you. Uh, the luckiest part was that... Uh... I realized when I was a senior in high school and I was playing the world's shortest Emile de Beck in South Pacific <laughs> that I'm a terrible actor yeah. and that I should never be on that side of the footlights ever again. Oh, it was an enchanted evening oh, indeed. It was, it was the <laughs> highest enchanted evening you've ever heard. Uh, so uh, when I realized that acting was not the thing for me, I was fortunate enough to be able to move to the other side of the table. Mm. Um, and, and, I and that was at a very, very young age. Which part? Moving to the other side of the table. It was. I was. I was in college, mm-hmm. and uh, I got a phone call from a family friend who asked if I wanted to be an intern on a musical, and that musical was Jekyll and Hyde. 
and uh, I was 20, and I was the kid who got the donuts. Yes. And I started getting the donuts, and over the course of a summer, I moved from donuts to sandwiches to cream cheese bagels to Xeroxing the music <laughs> to writing down the music to suddenly I was playing rehearsals, and that was one summer. You know, I still get the donuts and the coffee and the photocopying around <laughs> We here. all still There's get the donuts. nothing wrong with that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> nothing wrong with yeah. that. And you ended up, you, you worked your way up. As you said, you by the end of it, you were the second pianist in the final performers. You yep. ended up being chosen to be the last musical director of Les Mis on Broadway which is incredible. But I guess the moral of the story across the board is just get your foot in the door, work hard, and you'll get there in the end. Yep, 100%. Joyce, your background is on stage as a performer. In fact, you've been described as a a veteran of Broadway. You must get, (laughs) you must love hearing that. Uh, I guess I've embraced it. Yes, I've embraced it. But I'm so young, like you said. You are so so young. I don't know how I can be a veteran. You've been in everything. Anything goes, the pajama game, sweet charity, cabaret, cats. What were you in cats? Um, I started off as a swing when I was 17, yeah. and then I was syllabub. I sang Memory in the High Soprano. <laughs> really? Yeah. Did you ever get sick of Cats? Cats is one of those musicals, isn't it, that you do once and then you never need to do it again. Yes, but the last time I did it, because I, I did it for a year and a half, then I did the Broadway company, and then I went back out on tour, and after that, I was I was done. I was mm. like, I don't need to do Cats anymore. <laughs> but I still, it, it's near and dear to me. In more recent years, you've turned your hand to choreography. Are you done with performing or are you doing a bit of both? Uh, I haven't performed in a few years, mm-hmm. um, but um, I don't know if I'm done. We'll see. We will I, see. I'm a character, so you know who knows, maybe in 30 years from now I'll return and be the old woman. You know? <laughs> maybe you people will hire Isabella. me. You could be Genie. Yeah, yeah. You could be Genie. I'll be Genie and beautiful in, in like the 30-year... No, you don't year... even have to sing. There you go. Just five lines. There we go. (laughs) Five scenes and that's it. So you've all had very, very different life journeys, but your worlds collide in this amazing musical that is beautiful, the Carol King musical. Mark, you've been on board since day dot as a director. Was this show always destined to be a hit? Well, I I came on board. They had done a number of early readings. Our our producer, Paul Blake and Mike Bosner, um, had produced a couple of early readings that uh, I had attended. And... Uh, when I saw it, I kind of had a similar experience that I think a lot of the audience members have, which is to be astonished by the breadth of uh, of the song catalog that Carol produced. Mm. And I, I had that, oh my God, what she wrote that and that and that, and I just didn't, I, I didn't realize that. So when I when I came out of that reading, I thought, oh wow, this is. This this is this is a first of all a story that people don't know and it's fascinating to give this background sto- uh, on the these these songs that are so well known hmm. um, and at the same time uh, you you know the just I, I didn't realize how much I knew I realize I, I didn't realize that uh, uh, all of these uh, songs were so much even though I was I you know I did not grow up in this period yeah. um, but uh, I, I was you know more a child of the eighties and nineties yeah. um, but uh, the uh, th- these these songs are so much in the DNA of our uh, of our our collective uh, unconscious, and that's the amazing amazing thing about the show, isn't it? Everybody knows Carol King and the Tapestry album, but that's yeah. really the end of the story in terms of this musical. That's the- right. Yeah, I think you know when when Doug McGrath, the book writer, set about to write this musical initially, um, his his primary impulse was to write it about the building, about the 1650 Broadway, which mm. is not the Brill Building, although it's the Brill Building era is is uh, known as this this era of music. Uh, the Brill Building was actually a building that was around the corner from 1650 Broadway but uh, but 1650 Broadway um, and this this kind of beehive of uh, of songwriters um, who were primarily Jewish songwriters playing uh, uh, 
composing songs for uh, primarily African-American artists. Mm. And so he, his his impulse was to, to write about the four songwriters that are now depicted in Beautiful, uh, Carole King, Jerry Goffin, and uh, Barry Mann and Cynthia Weil. And the more that we developed the show, once I came on board, uh, and we did a, we did another couple of readings, and and then we were preparing for the out of town tryout in San Francisco. It became clear that the focus needed to be primarily on Carol, mm. um, and that the, the 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 thrust of how tapestry came into being needed to have more focus. And you don't paint her in any regards as a as a goddess of music or this superstar. And it's quite the opposite, in fact. No, no. She I comes mean, she, across as so normal. Sure. Well, she's. I, I, I think she's the only rock star in history that had her life dream to move to the suburbs. <laughs> <laughs> that that was that was truly what she 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 was a child of the 50s and and that that kind of picket fence ideal and she and, still is to today and that being yeah. the case how supportive of the show was she because you don't have to just get her approval it's all these other real life people and characters were they all supportive of the concept sure they were su- supportive of the concept initially carol came to uh, a, a reading and left an intermission oh. and uh, and and everybody thought oh god this is the the, the project's going to be dead and she said you know what all of these people are very professional. They know what they're doing. I'm going to let this happen, mm. but I'm never going to go see it. And have they ever? And uh, and so she she kept her promise until about three months after the Broadway opening. She did not come to San Francisco. She did not come to the Broadway opening. And then about three months later, she put on a wig and glasses and came into the audience. <laughs> and she uh, then took off the wig, surprised the cast on stage. Jason was there. Um, uh, you want to describe what happened then? Yeah, uh, sure. Uh, we were um, on Broadway. We do a, a period of collection where we collect money for organizations called Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. Mm-hmm. So every holiday season, uh, near Christmas and near Easter, there's about six weeks where all the shows do an after show curtain speech. And Jared Spector, who played Barry Man on Broadway, was in the middle of giving that speech, and all of a sudden the audience was losing their minds, and he had no idea why. Mm-hmm. And out came Carol King, all five foot one of her, from the wings, and basically, as each member of the cast recognized that it was her, every, it was like this wave of people losing their losing their mind, <laughs> um, and the audience screaming. And of course, Jared then was amazed, and she was so marvelous that night. She came out and she gave this beautiful speech about how much she enjoyed and loved the show and the amazing cast, and then uh, for for you know the things that you tick off your your uh, bucket list of things was when she reached out to me and she said I'm going to sing you've got a friend and you play it <gasps> which was awesome so uh, you had no idea she was coming I had no idea she was oh coming to the show the God. only message I'd gotten was from our producer Mike Bosner wanting to make sure that I was performing the show that evening I was like of course I am he's like great that was it <laughs> oh, no there she was and she was amazing she raised $30,000 by auctioning off herself singing you've got a friend uh, for a for Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS, and then she passed the mic to the whole cast, and everybody sang, and it was and it's incredible. Marvelous. You can actually see that footage online yeah. as well if you yeah, just have a bit of a Google. It's there. It's it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. amazing. And, Incre- and since then, she's been to see the show in all of the incarnations, or at least some of the incarnations. We she she's been, she went to see the tour, and she's uh, came out to the London opening. So she's she's a great supporter of the show, and she I, I think has gotten over her re- initial reluctance to see it because it does depict a very personal mm. por- portion of her life that. That, it, that at the time that she saw the reading was still very raw. And I, I think that she was reluctant to not only to watch it happen on stage, but to have people see her see it and to watch people um, and, and be, be self-conscious about that. So, I, I, But I think she's she's now embraced it and totally loves it. Yeah. We'll go on, yeah. Mark. It's just us speaking here. So share the gossip. Is she coming to Australia? Uh, I, I, if I, if I, I have no idea. You don't know? 
I have no idea. Oh, come on. We are always the last to know. We, I think, yeah, no, everybody no, will be the believe last me. To know. I would, I, I would tell you company. if I knew anything, but um, she. Uh, we never know when she's uh, in. In those times that I described, it right. that was it was never it was uh, in an, an advance kind of thing. It was yeah. it was always like oh. It's we happening. found out she was coming to the opening in London three hours before the opening. Oh yeah, yeah. So <laughs> wear your tux just in case. Just <laughs> exactly. in case. Yeah. Jason, the music obviously in the show fairly important. <laughs> Does the fact that Carol King's musical is so well known and loved from your point of view is that a blessing or a curse? Oh, it's totally a blessing. Mm. It's it's totally a blessing. I mean, then what do you do? <laughs> As the music supervisor, what do you do? Well, it was funny. I had a conversation with her early, early on uh, when we first started. And she actually, it was the very day that I met her. And I met her at uh, her grandson, who's a guitar player, was opening a show. Mm-hmm. And he invited me. And he didn't tell me that he was sitting me next to his grandmother, Carol King. So I arrive <laughs> and sit down and realize that I'm sitting next to her. And at intermission, she turns to me and she says, great to meet you. What are you doing in my music? Just like that. Oh. Just like that. And uh, I'd had no time, pressure. no pressure. No. No. I'd had time to prepare the answer because you know Mark and I had been collaborating on the show for a while, and obviously with Doug McGrath, the book writer, and everybody else, and realized that for music that we love and that we have a, a, a you know a deep emotional connection to, the last thing we can do is just replicate it because mm-hmm. it will never be the same as the original. Mm-hmm. So I told her that the goal was to make it feel like what it felt like the first time you heard the song, which is different than just do the song. So all of our arrangements are about finding a way to get the excitement of hearing something for the first time for an audience that may remember it so that they feel that it sounds like what they heard before as opposed to actually do the recording from 1961. I can tell you, I, I had the privilege of sitting in on a rehearsal. It was one of your first full runs uh, over at the ABC Centre there. And you think you know Carol King's music. You think you know the songs back to front. You could probably sing them. But this is testament to you all. You sit and you watch it in the context of the play in the context of certain parts of Carol's life. And the songs take on all new meaning. When you start listening to the lyrics and thinking, it's too late, baby, oh, it's too late, or, or will you still love me tomorrow? Like, sure. There's a deep yeah. personal connection to When you to understand these what the kind of personal uh, life moment was that sort of inspired those songs, it, 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 gives, it gives you a new lens to get to see these songs through. And, and even though you're so familiar with them, you may not have really paid much attention to certain yeah. lyrics or... Uh, or, or, or certain turns of phrase, and, and it, it, it just gives you a, a way to appreciate them anew and refresh them. The, the thing is so great about this show is that the music does drive the story, but the story is probably the star of the show, really. The story drives the music as well. It, it's, it's just a, a true piece of theatre. Joyce, I want to come to you because the movement in Beautiful, it's deceptively difficult, isn't it? <laughs> it looks simple to the audience, it, it looks, but it's it, so stylized. It, it is very stylized, and um, you know, hats off to the choreographer Josh Prince, mm. who I'm in. I'm here in lieu of yes. um, for for really taking the time and and care and creating movement that doesn't feel like it is choreography. I mean, this is a show that there's no they're singers. We we have to hire singers to do this show. It's not about the dancing. And to get these singers for some of them, and there are some in this production that have never done anything like this. They've never done five, six, seven, eight. Really? Yes. And so it's a real challenge to get them to not think that they're doing choreography, but that it's an extension of their voice. 
as a singer, so that they need to imbue the feelings of 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 the song and the lyrics through their body. And it it takes a while. And, you know, people have some breakthroughs of like these aha moments of, oh, I don't need to be scared to, to do these steps. And it they are deceptively, you know, simple, mm. but it's simplicity is hard to to get across with truth and real feeling oh, it's so true I mean, and in any normal musical you'd, you'd go through the dance audition first to, to get into the show but this is so specific in the roles isn't it that you have to have a look you have to be able to sing like crazy as well and so you've done such a good job just to bring these people together in Thank unison you. to Thank look you. like the drifters to look like the Shirelles. <laughs> well it's- and you know it, they have to you know become a family and they have to trust each other and that was one of the big i, I feel achievements with these drifters um is that they are their brothers now mm-hmm. and they have moment before the show where they connect so that they can breathe as one and work together as one and have each other's back and um, it's pretty special i think it's a bond they'll always carry after the show so fantastic focusing now on this amazing australian production of beautiful how blessed are you struck gold with esther hannaford haven't you oh, she's she's so gifted uh in in so many departments and the, and the role of Carol has always, in the number of actresses, we've been very, very lucky to have some extraordinary ladies, leading ladies, um, anchor our production. And when we came to audition for here in Australia and met Esther, it was one of those moments of just, oh, yes, absolutely, yes. How she's, hard is it to find your Carol, though? Because she has to embody well, her, kind of look like her, sound like her. If it's sure. not Esther, if Esther doesn't turn up, how easy is it to fill that role? Well, you know, we, 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 we're not looking for a Carol King impersonator, mm. and we never have been. I, I think part of what makes the show um, work is that the audience comes out thinking, oh my God, I've seen Carol King, and yet the, the, the performances of the various ladies who have played Carol King are not, if you put them next to each other, they wouldn't necessarily be exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, we, we try and uh, embrace the qualities of Carol King and the, and the spirit of Carol without actually trying to uh, m- uh, seem like it's mimicking. A, mi- a mimic is a dead, uh, uh, th- there's no there's no life to it. And so um, th- this, it, because the quality of the book is so uh, deep and in terms of the character work and, and in terms of the acting required to, to embrace this, um, this journey of uh, going from 1959 to 1971 and going, playing a, a 16-year-old girl and then uh, uh, through a, a tumultuous marriage and then a, uh, two kids and then uh, coming around the, out the other side and, and, and finding her voice as a, as a superstar mm-hmm. and, and ending up in Carnegie Hall in 1971. Um, it, that's that that takes takes a huge breath and range of uh, of emotion and 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 uh, an access of uh, of emotion and so um, Esther's Esther's just extraordinary. Mm-hmm. She's uh, she has she has an ease to everything that she does and and she has uh, a truthfulness that that uh, she is able to process everything through and she has a really great internal barometer for that and uh and so uh, and i think she shares a a, a, hum, a humility with carol carol has um a, a a great um she 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 has never 
wanted to, she never wanted to be a singer mm-hmm. and uh, she really wanted to be a songwriter, Carol. And I, I, Esther, I, th- there's, a, there's a sort of reluctance to embrace stardom that I think uh, Esther shares with Carol in that way. Unfortunately, I think she's going to have to get used to being a star because I, she I is a superstar. Gonna, she's going to figure that out pretty quickly. Oh, yes. I'll tell you, her performance... All she has to do is walk over the Piermont Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> there's flags of her all, all over the city. What about all of you guys? And I'll go to you, Jason, on this one. You know the show Back to Front by now you go from city to city and you stage it what's it like coming to Australia and starting a new production is it like starting from scratch or from your point of view is it easy you just roll out the bandwagon again no it's definitely not easy I mean I wouldn't say it's starting from scratch because starting from scratch for us was the first time we really did Mm -hmm. the production learning you know exactly how it was going to go and and just in terms of the music building the arrangements on the talents of the people that we'd hired and seeing how that was all going to work subsequent to that with subsequent productions, we've learned that we need to actually apply that same process. So we have the form, for example, just for me, for the music, we have the form of the songs ready to go, but we really need to see how it fits on the talent that we have and and best showcase that talent so that they feel um, both taken care of and that they, they can present themselves and put themselves on their best foot. Hmm. Um, we don't turn it into the riftastic American Idol show because <laughs> that's not the kind of show it is. Uh, but what we do is find out how each of the songs best fits on the people so we uh, it's it's a collaborative discovery process with them, even though we have more of a knowledge to start with. Hmm. And Joyce, and I suppose all of you, now you were in performance mode, we're in the theatre, you've got crowds. What happens to your roles? How long do you stick around? Well, I, I was saying on the walk over here that I feel like I'm like stepping away. Mm. I feel like my job is basically almost done here. Do you hand it over to local counterparts yeah, to so take it from here? There's lo- local resident director mm. and choreographer. Um, Kirsten King will be taking over my job and she'll maintain um, them. I know she'll do a beautiful job because she has as much passion and heart as I do. And, um, you know, they uh, it's a great company and they work really hard and they take their notes and they uh, apply them. So, so how long are you here for? When do you leave? I I leave a week from today. Is it so the same for Mark all of Rooney. you? Yeah, yeah uh, I think Jason's leaving a little we, before us, but um, after. really, uh, we are staying a few a couple extra days. So we're uh, shooting some uh, uh, electronic press kit on Tuesday, so right. we're here for. That's a, a bit sad, is it? Yeah. Like yeah. you, it you is. put so it's much work sad. into it, and then you have to walk well, away from your baby, something yeah. you built. It's it's sort of inherent yeah. in That's show just business the nature. that yeah. you build a family and then you abandon them. Yeah. <laughs> and you've left a piece of yourself here. That's how I feel. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the the cast, you build a family and then you, you sort of get to enjoy that family for a while, at least a year or so, mm-hmm. and before you break up. But as, a, no, as, as yeah. a creative team, you know, you, you kind of... Uh, uh, step away early, and it, I'm, in this case, I mean, when we're on a different continent. Yeah, I was going to say it's really easy though because Australia is so close. Oh yeah, uh, we'll totally. just drop by and visit. <laughs> yeah, you know? Of course. <laughs> Finally, what's next for you? Do you continue with Beautiful somewhere else in the world, or have you got other projects? Well, we have the good fortune to have three other productions of Beautiful currently running, and so those do take a, a, a regular uh, maintenance. Uh, we have a wonderful team of associates that. Uh, that work on those productions as well. But Broadway continues. Uh, there's a U.S. tour and there's a U.K. tour that opened just last week. So um, so for the foreseeable future, there will be four beautifuls uh, around the world, which is 
just kind of mind-boggling. You don't need friends or family, do you? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> well, it's no, been no. a fascinating insight behind the curtain. It's beautiful, the Carol King musical. It's open now at the Lyric Theatre in Sydney, and then no doubt it'll travel across the country and around the world. Beautifulmusical.com.au is the place for all the information and to buy your tickets. Mark Bruni, Jason Howland and Joyce Chittick, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, thanks Luke. for having us. Thank and thanks to everyone for listening. I'm Luke Davis, and we'll speak with you soon on the next Michael Castle Group podcast. Thank you.